Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. And you start to lean in directions that you find yourself going in that, that are negative, that, that just are just, they're not godly. And you're like, oh, man. And then we have the nerve and the audacity to look up and say, what's up? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen? And God's like, sand. Sand. You're putting your faith in things that can't hold up. You're resting your assurance on things that are going to cave. And, and, and it's tough. And we hear the Lord whispering, sand. It's tough. It's hard, I think, because there are many times where the world is calling us in a particular direction. Our own opinions are, are driving us in certain ways. And we start to put our faith in things that we know are unstable. But we do it anyways. That's why the Apostle Paul said it like this. He told Timothy, he said, hey, Tim. He said, cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to it. So many things are going to be trying to get you to cling to them. But no, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences, meaning they, they knew what was right. The Holy Spirit is on the inside saying, sand. Don't do it. Right? Even just our own conscience. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but there's just certain things that you know are wrong. And they violated their conscience, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot afford to have shipwrecked faith. As I said last week, we are living in a day and in a time where we need our faith to be anchored in that which is solid, that which is real. In other words, I want us to have strong faith. I want us to have a Flintstone kind of faith. Now, some of you in here, you're like, what is this guy talking about, Flintstones and faith? What, is that, what does that even mean? <laughs> Let me show you. What do Flintstones have to do with faith? Everything. Welcome to Bedrock. That's where they live. The Flintstones live in Bedrock. And that's exactly where God calls our faith to live, in the bedrock of his word, in the bedrock of his character, in the bedrock of his ways. So that way when the wind blows and the storm hits, listen, there, there could be some damage, but you're going to still be standing. You're going to still be standing. Now, it's important to understand that when our faith is rooted in that which is stable, when our faith is, is strong in Christ, all of a sudden, our faith becomes a filter for our decisions. That's huge. You ever made a faithless decision and end up regretting it? What do I mean by that? Meaning when your faith and your assurance and your confidence is resting in Christ, is resting in God and his word, that's going to dramatically affect the way you filter your choices and your decisions. And that's going to dramatically affect your life in a very big way. In other words, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. In other words, that a strong faith in Christ builds a strong house in life. Now, you might be asking, why do you use these ridiculous phrases all the time? Well, a couple of reasons. Because 
you've already looked, said, look at that ridiculous phrase, and you've repeated it in your mind. And then you're going to tell somebody else, hey, look at this ridiculous phrase, a strong faith in Christ builds a strong house in life. And so hopefully after you've repeated and criticized me for all of those things, it sticks. That's the goal. That it sticks on the inside of you. But, but, but the truth is a strong faith in Christ builds a strong house in life. The only problem is that sometimes we don't feel like, like following God's ways. We don't feel like following God's words. In some moments in life, we, we may find ourselves tired. Maybe you're going through some things and, and you're a little bit exhausted. You're a little bit weary. And it's easy in those moments. I know that I'm most susceptible to sin. I'm most susceptible um, to, to getting off the beaten path when, when I'm exhausted. I start making foolish decisions. I start saying ridiculous stuff, right? Jackie can testify to that. Um, and so sometimes maybe things are going well for you and you just want to get in trouble. You're kind of bored. Like things are going well. You're just like, man, what I need some drama in my life, right? Who, do, who does that? Who says I want drama? Sometimes we do. It's crazy. I'm just bored. I just want to get into some trouble. And the world is just saying, hey, come take a break. Come take a break from that faith stuff. Come, come and join us over here. Come over to the, the sandy beach, right? Come on over and let's, let's hang out a bit. And so we find ourselves where sometimes it's, it's not always easy to just walk in this strong faith. Because there's real temptation. Sin is a very real thing. We have a real enemy of our soul that's constantly doing whatever he can to throw distractions and roadblocks and, and get our eyes fo- off of the, what's true and get us to violate what we know is true, to violate our conscience, to violate our relationship with God and with the, this promise of opulence and luxury and stability. And we find many times that it's kind of opulent and it may be even a little bit luxurious for a season, but it's not stable. It can't go the distance. So, so what do we do in those moments when our faith is faltering? What do we do when, when other things in our life are wanting us to filter our decisions through maybe our own opinion or the world's ways? What do we do? How do we fuel our faith in that moment? Well, I believe there's a a simple truth that we see all throughout the narrative of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament that the Lord really wants us to anchor in. It's a bedrock truth. And it's not rocket science truth. A lot of times some of the most simplest things in the Scriptures are some of the most hard to apply. Some of the things that we know, but I don't want you to ask, do I know this? I want you to ask this question today as I reveal this to you. I don't want you to, to say, oh, I know that. I want you to ask, is this a reality in my life and does it reflect in my decision making? That's what I want you to ask today. Does this reflect? Is this a reality in my life and does it reflect in my decision making? And it's this truth that will fuel your faith in a moment of doubt, in a moment of insecurity, in a moment where you want to cave. And and the truth is this, if you're taking notes, jot this down, is that God is for you. You might want to rephrase that, that God is for me. Now some of you guys are like, whoa, that's deep. (laughs) Like, well, duh, God is for me. I've been told, I, I, I know that God is for me. People tell me that God is for me. But do you really believe that? Because if you do, it will reflect in the way that you make decisions. It will reflect the way you filter through the different processes and the different thought processes in your mind. God is for you. See, a lot of times we think that God is like this cosmic killjoy. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like if God is in the equation, surely he's going to do some damage. Wants to take away our joy. It's going to rob us somehow. Like, like, you know, have you ever said this? Have you ever said this? You ever said, 
Man, life is going great right now. Hold on. Better, better find some wood because God's listening. He might, he might throw a storm my way or something. Like, where do we get this from? Right? Like God is like this guy that just wants to, to take all our joy. He's just waiting. Like, oh, you're, oh, life is good for you now? Great. Let me take it from you. That is such a distorted picture of God. And it's a heart that screams that I don't know this truth that God is, God is really for me. See, God is not in the business of taking from us. God doesn't need anything from us. Matter of fact, what if I told you that every command in the scripture was given for his glory, but also for your joy? That's the reality. Every command that God has given us is for our joy. God is for our joy. And can I just tell you, when this becomes a reality to you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. It'll change your life. And even in those moments where you're like, I'm not really sure. I think I want to go my way. You just come back to this. Hey, wait, God is for me. So if he's for me and every command is going to lead me to joy, God, what do you have to say about this situation? And God says, stand. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. But when you catch this, it will completely change your life like it did the Apostle Paul. Paul had this amazing revelation. He had this amazing understanding that is available to us today. That God is for me. And look what he says. Look how he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Everybody say compel. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Let me explain. Paul is reflecting on the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Christ crucified, risen from the dead, saved my life. Because if you know Paul's story, he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was a persecutor of the church. We talked about Stephen last week. It's very likely that Paul was on the scene of his stoning, maybe even giving the command for Stephen to be stoned because of his faith in Christ. Paul didn't want to hear that Jesus stuff. Man, I don't want, to, I don't want nothing to do with this man. This man is threatening what we have held so fastly in our, our religiosity He's threatening our little kingdom here. We want to wipe Christ off the face of the map. What Paul was saying is, I've never been for him. But in the midst of all of that craziness, God was still for me. God was still pursuing me. And so Paul would write things in the scripture. We see that while we were yet sinners, while we were rebelling against Christ, he died for us. I mean, I think we see the reflection of Christ in Stephen as we talked about last week as he's being stoned because of his testimony in Jesus. He's crying out, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them before he took his last breath. Like we see this demonstrated. And, and all of a sudden now Paul, uh, it, it, it went from kind of a concept to a vivid reality where Paul was like, I was never for him. I hated Christ, but he was always for me. He was pursuing me in the midst of all of my sin, in the midst of all of my murder, in the midst of all of my rebellion. He was still pursuing me. And he's like, the love that I've experienced from him, the grace that I've experienced, oh, Lord. He said it compels me. Better translation in the, in the Greek, it would, it would be, better translation would be, it controls me. In other words, it has this notion of pressure that the love of God presses so deeply on my heart, I can't help but to move out and make it known. Come on, are you living like that? Come on, how many of you want to live like that? 
Paul said, listen, it's rearranged my whole life. This reality that God has for me, his love, his mercy, and his grace for me has changed my very identity. Look what he says. He says, he says and he died for all, meaning Christ, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. Him who died for them and was raised again. Paul was like, I thought life was all about me. Even in my religiosity, it was, look how much knowledge I have. Look how holy I am. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And then he's like, that's why I was so miserable. You see, there, there's this beautiful collision in the scriptures that it's kind of, it's kind of a paradox because we're, we think that the way to find life is to pursue it, but really the way to find life is to let it go and surrender it to, to, to Jesus, and in that he gives us life. And Paul was like, that was so ridiculous to me because we spent our whole lives saying me. I mean, come on. What can I get out of this relationship? I'm not really getting much. See ya. What's this church going to give me? What can I get from this church? Right, and we live our lives like this, don't we? We choose so many things based on me and mine and what I want. Paul's like, listen, if you want to live a miserable life, I've been there. Make life about you. But Paul said, when you encounter the love of Jesus and when you realize that God is for you in the midst of everything, Paul said, it's going to change the way you see yourself. You're going to want, you're not going to want to live for yourself anymore. You're going to be so enamored with his love and with, with, with him that you're going to realize that that's not the way to life. Selfishness. Listen, if you guys want to be miserable, just make it about you. I, I, don't tell me I didn't tell you anything true today, all right? Make it about you. But Paul said, that's not, that's not how I live anymore. He says, not only has it affected the way that I see myself, but it's also affected the way I see others. Look what he says. He goes on to say, some have stopped evaluating. Uh, he says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. He says, man, we used to look so critical and harshly at people. You could imagine Paul. He was a religious, pharmaceutical, just top dog that would look like you're nothing. Peasants. Paul's like, I can't, I can't see people like that anymore. It's like, man, the love, the grace, this reality that God is for me, even when I wasn't for him, it's created such an empathy in my heart. It's created such a compassion on the inside of me. Now when I see brokenness in people, even if it's harshness towards me, even if they're trying to kill me, there's, there's just this compelling love on the inside of me that I want to enter into that brokenness. I want to enter into that sin, and I want to bring reconciliation. I, I can't help it. I can't see people like that anymore. It's changed the way I see people. I can't gossip about people. I can't do that. I want to enter in, and I want to do whatever I can to serve. Well, Paul, they don't like you. It doesn't matter. I just, I, got, I want to, I got to go. I got to tell them. You know, one of the greatest, one of the greatest signs that grace is a reality and not a concept to you is by how well you distribute it, distribute it. Like, how easy is it for you to give grace? If it's not very easy, you might need a greater understanding of it. Not just here, but go back and look at the cross until it penetrates your heart. Until you realize that, man, I wasn't always for him, but he was always for you. Always. It, it, it'll do something on 
the inside of you. But Paul said, not only has it changed the way I see others, because how many of you guys know when God is for you, this is now affecting a lot of Paul's decisions about his life, about how he engages in relationship, but also how he engages God. He said, at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. Notice he doesn't say how differently we see him now. No, he says how differently we know him now. Paul's like, man, I wanted nothing to do with this guy. I wanted nothing to do with his commands, his, his ways. His, I, 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 would be, I wanted him snuffed out. But now, oh my goodness, I long for his ways. Obedience, surrender to all of me to him. Oh, yes, that is, yes. Paul's like, man, this is crazy. Just this reality of the love of God, the grace of God, the good news of, that he was for me. Even when I wasn't for him. You say, Pastor Matt, that sounds really elementary. Paul says, no, that's not elementary. That's bedrock. That's what keeps you in the midst of all this other craziness in the world is you come back to the bedrock. The reality that God was for us even when we weren't for him. And Paul said, it'll change the way you see yourself. It'll change the way you see people in the world. And it'll change the way you see God. And it will affect every decision of your life thereafter. Now, now that, that's awesome, but can you imagine, do, do you know what it's like when somebody is for you? Like, doesn't, it, doesn't it affect, it affects our hearts in, in a particular way, doesn't it? Like if you know somebody's really on your team, like they really got you, they're like, oh man, I'm here. Like it's moving day and they show up. <laughs> that's love. Like you'd be willing to give your right leg for a person like that. And so, so knowing that people are for us, it, it changes us. So Jackie and I, we went uh, to Sonoma, to Bodega Bay, um, for, to celebrate our anniversary. It's not till this week uh, on the 21st, but, you know, school stars, we got kids and all that stuff. So this last week we got away, we just, just an overnighter. And we, I wanted to take her to a, a nice restaurant. Like, I was ready to spend some bread. Like, let's, even if the, even if the, the meal is, even if the, the steak is, like, that big, I'm like, let's go. Let's do it. So we, we were recommended to this, this restaurant on the, on, the, on, the, on the bay or in the Bodega Bay area um, overlooking the ocean. And so we went there, and as we walked in, uh, we didn't see the dining room. We just saw the cafe area, and I looked, and I was like, uh, it's got a great view, but it, it looks like a little casual. We're kind of dressed up. And I said, babe, what do you think? You want to we get a window seat? It's, it's awesome. And she's like, well, I mean, the food's probably the same, so it doesn't really matter. So we're just dialoguing, right? So finally the lady said, oh, no, our dining room's over here. And we look, and it's like, oh, this is nice. This is what we were looking for. But there were no window seats. So come on, it's our anniversary. We're not going to sit in the middle. Are you crazy? And so, so long, long story short, we were like, oh, we don't want to sit in the middle. Maybe we should go somewhere else. And so we were kind of talking about it. And the lady comes out. She says, hey, listen, guys, I just want you to have a memorable experience. So can I recommend some other places for you? Like, what? We're like, yeah, what about this one? And, uh, and she, she was on. She said, don't eat there, don't eat there. This one, they have a Michelin star. You're not going to regret this. But listen, if none of that works out, just call me and I'll save you a window seat. And can I just tell you, in that moment, that dramatically affected our decision. Come on, hospitality goes a long way. That's why our dream team is so amazing. Because, listen, 
if people know that we're for them in the parking lot, they're going to know we're for them inside the worship center. And it just goes so far, and it affects how we engage. So we said, man, we're going to stay here. We'll wait a little bit. Let's stay here. So we get in. Let me show you a picture of our spot. It was just a pretty little place, right? And we had the best time. Like we shut down the restaurant. Conversation was so good. We had no cell signal, so none of you guys could call us. And it was, uh, it was awesome. So good. And then we talked to her afterwards, and we just thought, man, this is a memorable experience. And can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that God has not destined your life to not be a memorable experience. God is so for you in everything. Listen, he, he is for your joy. And, and, and we have to understand this at a deep level, and I think, I think one guy that really understood this was King David. Like, like think about King David for a moment. Of his words here in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 16, our main text. Look what he says. He says, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. He said, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now this is interesting coming from David because you guys know King David. I mean, this guy was, this guy was pretty incredible. I heard a pastor do a monologue uh, about David. I thought it was, it was super funny. And I'm going to kind of modify it to fit me. Um, but, but it was kind of along the lines of, could you imagine sitting at a, at, a, at a dinner table with David and you're sharing stories? Like every one of your stories falls short. Like every single one. Like David plays, you know, the harp and, and demons flee. Like how, when's the last time you, you, know, you got on the piano and like demons are just fleeing everywhere? Like just some amazing stuff. But could you imagine being there? Hey, Dave, hey, what's going on, man? We had a great time on our anniversary. Conversation flowed. We shut down the restaurant. It was, it was awesome. He's like, man, that's good. That's good. You know, I was in the woods the other day, tending my father's sheep, and a bear came. What was I to do? I killed it with my hands. And then there was, there was another time, there's this giant, nine-foot giant of a man. Entire army was afraid of him. Entire army was afraid of him. They would ran every time he came out. I came, I'm not skilled really in any of that stuff. Killed him with a rock. <laughs> then I cut off his head, showed it to the army, and they all fled. Like, so our anniversary, it was great, it was awesome. We had a great Sunday last week, Dave. Like, I mean, to try to top this guy, I mean, this guy has lived some life. King over Israel experienced wealth, opulence, and luxury like you wouldn't even imagine. I mean, this guy had everything you could possibly dream of. This guy had some, fought some of the fiercest battles, so many victories. So you would think David would lay in bed at night like, oh, man, I am so awesome. Cut off that head. But David said, no, you make known to me the path of life. All that other stuff without you, God, is sand. Matter of fact, the only reason why I was able to do those things, David always gives credit back to the Lord. Why? Because he knows this vivid reality that in his weakness, in his insufficiencies, even when, you know, the, the moments where he was uncertain and not sure, he knew that God was for him. And it changed the way he made decisions. When David was on the battlefield, he wouldn't just say, hey, we got success this way last time. He would say, Lord, what you want me to do? Should I go this way? 
Should I go that way? Why? Because I know you're for me. I know your commands are for my joy. And so as a result of that, just tell me. Tell me what you want. And I'm there. Because why? Because not, not, in, not in the palace is there fullness of joy, but in your presence there's fullness of joy. Not, not in all of these false promises that, that say, hey, listen, we're going to give you luxury. We're, we're going to give you the best views in the world, but the foundation doesn't work. David said, no, no, no. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David was bent on saying, God, I am so aware that you are for me. Therefore, my life is so surrendered to you, and you bring about the greatest joy of my life. That was the success of King David. That was the victory underneath it all. It was never about him. It was always about God. He said, your law is like honey on my lips. Like, when's the last time you read the Ten Commandments and were like, honey? That's how David was. This man is so good. And so listen, the times that you're you're tempted to go astray, the times you're tempted to go your own way, the times that that the world is beckoning you, saying God's way, it's not sustainable, it's not fulfilling, it's not joyous. God's wanting to rob you, it's a lie. God is for your joy. Every single one of his commands is saying, come on to life. You want to experience life? Come this way. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're taking notes, it's not going to be on the screen, but you're going to want to jot this down. God is for us, but he doesn't force us. God is for us, but he doesn't force us. He invites us. You know, so every day you open up God's word, he says, hey, hey, I want to invite you to joy. This this is how I want you to think about your marriage. Yeah, like this. Yeah, this is how I want you to think about your singleness. Like this. Your finances, oh, I know it's crazy, I know, but I need you to think about them like this. I'm for you. I'm for your joy. Your thought life, I know what the world says. I know that you have so many things available to you at a click of a button. But, but let me tell you how, how you should think about your thought life. Because I want to lead you to joy. And sometimes those moments, guys, we so desperately want what the world has. We so desperately want our way that it feels like everything inside of us to obey God is going to tear us apart. But it's in those moments that you got to stop and remember, God, you're for me. What do you say? Okay, I'm going to go for it. Because here's the deal. Many of us in those moments where we feel like God's way is the wrong way, we feel like it's not going to satisfy, we feel like our way is the right way, we so desperately want to build on this sand, and God is saying, don't build on that sand. It's in those moments that many times we never get to experience the joy because we settle for the sand. And God's like, man, if you would have just stuck to the course... You don't know what I had on the horizon. So many times I look back in moments that I wish, that I, at the time I was like, man, I just really want to do this, but I didn't. And I look back and I'm like, whoa, God, your grace, your protection, your favor, you're always for my joy. And so, so, so I, I want to close with this. Peter, Luke chapter 5. Jesus is preaching a sermon. Peter's been fishing all night. It doesn't work. They didn't catch anything. And, and, and Jesus said, Peter, I want you to put this into practice. I want you to go out and cast your nets out for, for a catch. And Peter's like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Like, we fish at night. Okay, fine, I'll go. So Peter goes, and his boat gets full of fish. And imagine if Peter would have settled for the shore. 
he would have never experienced the joy of that miracle. But not only that, what came from that miracle was even crazier. Peter realizes that he's a sinful man. He's like, God, why are you blessing me? I'm not for you. God's like, but I'm for you. How's that grace taste, Peter? See, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for direction. And I asked you to take a step. And guess what? My grace met you in that step. Matter of fact, my grace allowed you to take that step. How's that feel, Peter? Peter's like, oh, gosh. Horrible. <laughs> I feel so horrible. But I feel like so amazed at the same time. And, and then Jesus looks at Peter and he says this. He says, don't be afraid. He said, from now on. And I'm going to invite our worship team to, to come on up. He says, from now on, you will fish for people. What was he saying? Hey, Pete, I know you've been building on sand. Hey, you've been building on sand for a long time, bro. You got so much sand everywhere. But from now on, all of that changes. Can I just tell you, listen, it doesn't matter how buried you are today. It doesn't matter how many cracks you have or how bad you're leaning. The Lord says, today, I have a, for, I have a from now on for you. I'm for you, and I have a from now on for you. Like, God has one of these for you today. Listen, I know I would spin, but from now on, we're moving in a different direction. From now on, we're going to build on what's solid. We're going to build on what's right. But here, I'm not going to force you. I'm going to invite you. And I love Peter. I love the disciples' response. It says they pulled up on the shore like they got the whole catch. They left everything and followed him. Now, Peter, why would you do such a thing? <sighs> because his love is compelling me. I got to go. I can't stay this, this pressure of grace and of life and of truth and of love. This reality that God has for me is pressing on my heart so deeply. I can't go back to sand. I got to move on to what God has for me. I got to get to my from now on. From now on. I'm going to leave everything. And I'm going to follow him. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to have bedrock faith. You say, so, okay, preach is really great. How does this work tomorrow? You ready for this? I just simply want you to do one thing. Put into practice. He who hears my words, Jesus says, and puts them into practice is like one who builds his house on the rock. So I want you to think. I got to make some decisions. All right. Just make sure you have that filter before you. I know, God, you're for me. So what do you have to say here? Okay, doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter, you know, how much I desire this. I know you're for my joy. And so, Lord, in light of all of that, in light of your love, in light of your mercy, in light of, if you ever get discouraged, just, just, just meditate on that for a little bit. Like he's for you when you weren't for him. Just think about that just for a little bit. And all of a sudden it's like, what am I thinking? <laughs> This isn't a struggle. I gladly give my life to you in light of all that you've done for me.
He's not going to force you. He's just going to invite you to come and to put into practice what he's taught you. And ladies and gentlemen, hear me on this. If you refuse, you want to know what you will discover. You may think you're an awesome engineer of life. You may think you're the most incredible architect. But you will learn very quickly. Maybe not quickly. It may take some time. But you will eventually learn that you may be a great engineer. You may be a great architect. But you make a horrible God. Horrible God. And there's only one that can lead you into joy that you could only imagine because there's only one that sees the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, the alpha, the omega, the first, the last, the one whose ways are higher than our ways, the ones whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So put into practice 